You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. FireEye warns of message tap malware and its spying on SMS. NSO Group's Pegasus troubles seem to be expanding. Russia prepares to disconnect its internet. The U.S. opens a national security investigation into TikTok. An Android keyboard app is making bogus purchases and doing other adware stuff. Esports draw criminal attention. And happy birthday, GCHQ. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, November 1st, 2019. FireEye continues to chew on APT-41, Double Dragon, the PLA spies who moonlight as crooks, or vice versa. In a report issued yesterday, the researchers described the threat group's message tap malware. The tool monitors and collects SMS traffic from specific phone and IMSI numbers. It also watches for specific keywords. MessageTap has been deployed in a Chinese government espionage campaign against high-value or high-payoff targets, including dissidents, journalists, and selected foreign officials. FireEye calls the approach a combined focus on upstream data and targeted surveillance. The attention NSO Group's Pegasus tool has attracted from WhatsApp and Citizen Lab has flushed some additional surveillance activity. Reuters reports that Pegasus has been used against government officials in several countries. The Israeli government denies any involvement. The story is still developing. Roskomnadzor, Russia's Internet Authority, today began installing the tools necessary to disconnect the country's Internet from the global web, should the government decide it needed to do that. The plans for an autarctic web have been in place for some time. Why disconnection is attractive to Moscow is obvious. It would make censorship and information control easier, for one thing, and it might also reassure Moscow that its disconnected networks were safer from foreign attack. What the disconnection will mean in practice remains to be seen, as SC Magazine points out. There are powerful commercial forces that tend to operate in favor of an internationally open Internet, but Russia has resisted the lure of commerce before, and it might be able to do so again. In any case, the experiment has just begun and will bear watching. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, yesterday released details of the North Korean Trojan Hoplite, and that's Hop, L-I-G-H-T. This Hoplite is not to be confused with an ancient Greek heavy infantryman. 
Hoplite opens a back door in affected machines, through which hidden Cobra can crawl at will. Washington's warnings about Huawei and ZTE are well known, as are the strictures against various Chinese manufacturers of commercial drones. The Department of the Interior, for example, has just decided to ground its 800-strong drone fleet, most of which is manufactured in whole or in part by Chinese firms. Interior cites security concerns as the basis for the grounding. And there have been rumblings inside the Beltway that TikTok is also bad news. Those rumblings became semi-official today, as the proverbial sources in a position to know tell Reuters that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States has opened a national security investigation into TikTok's owner, Beijing ByteDance Technology Company, and its $1 billion acquisition, the U.S. social media app Musical.ly, two years ago. What specifically they're looking into isn't yet known, but members of Congress have expressed concerns over the possibility that TikTok could become a counterintelligence threat in the U.S. Upstream Systems warns that the Android keyboard app AI.Type is quietly making unauthorized purchases of premium digital content, racking up a cool $18 million in fraudulent potential charges. And those are just the bogus charges Upstream's SecureD mobile platform intercepted and blocked. AI.Type represents itself as a free, fun keyboard app, great for people who like to use emojis. But the only emoji this one calls to mind is the poop emoji. Not only will it buy digital content you didn't order and probably don't want, but AI.Type also collects information about the infected user's actual preferences and purchases. And, of course, it does the usual adware shtick of serving up invisible ads and collecting phony clicks. Upstream recommends, of course, that you not contribute any more downloads to this malware. It's already been downloaded more than 40 million times. Google removed AI.Type from the Play Store back in July, at which point the malware's activity spiked for about a month, then reverted to the mean, where it remains. Watch your bills for inexplicable charges, especially for data you don't remember buying, and keep an eye on your mobile devices. If they're behaving oddly, look more closely. Trend Micro notes a cresting wave of criminal cyber attacks on esports. These have become big business, estimated last year to have become a billion-dollar industry, and money draws criminals as rotting meat draws flies. Esports are pursued recreationally and professionally, and colleges and universities have established esports teams to go along with their football, basketball, and beer pong teams. We're just kidding about the beer pong. As far as we know, that's not risen above the level of a club sport. In the U.S., the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, considered bringing esports under its regulatory scrutiny, but for the time being, at least, has shelved the idea. But plenty of NCAA schools haven't. Some even offer scholarship to good gamers, and it seems surprising that those don't appear to figure in the Varsity Blues scandal. Go figure. You'd have thought Hollywood would have been up on esports. The criminality is, as you might expect, opportunistic, running from selling hacks and cheats on the black market to rigging games to DDoSing tournaments or holding them up for ransom. All of this is in addition to the trade in various in-game purchases as a means of laundering money. Trend Micro sees no near-term end in sight, so hold on to your loot boxes. And finally, happy birthday to the oldest of the five eyes. GCHQ turns 100 years young this week.
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on teaching. Uh, That is something that I know is important to you. And it's interesting to me that as your company has grown, and I think Dragos is up over, what, 150 people now, it is still something that you carve out time throughout your year to teach. Why is that? What's the value there for you? Yeah, the, the thing that I like about Dragos and the thing that I like about the industrial security space is the community feel. And I and I think that's present in a lot of InfoSec circles, but I know it's really present in ICS security for me personally. And I've always felt that the answer can't just be technology or building a company. It's got to be building a community. And actually, I started the class, so I built the SANS ICS 515 class with the Act defense and incident response, basically getting into your industrial networks and hunting and responding to attacks. I built that years before I built Dragos. I actually um, built that when I was still in the military and in the intelligence community because we didn't have uh, people to pull from. And so I, you know, I got challenged by one of my mentors, Mike Asante, to go build this class so that we could onboard more people in the community so that we could start trying to solve this challenge. And as Dragos has expanded, I definitely had to cut back. I used to teach, you know, 10 times a year. 15 times a year, which is they're each a week-long class, and that's a lot of time to take out. As the demands of the company have increased, I've, I've had to cut back. I think next year I'm only going to be teaching five or six times. But um, it still it still can be a drain to do it because the company's moving very quickly and there's tons of things to do. But I find it really important to do for, for really three big reasons. One, very selfishly, it's like my therapy. Um, being able to break out of the CEO role and still go be the practitioner that shares lessons learned and case studies with anybody, including our competitors that come to the class, but just trying to advocate to the community about what the community needs to be, irrespective of vendors. 
Number two is I think it's incredibly important to kind of expose the lessons learned that we're getting through Dragos to an audience that isn't bound to a vendor training. So instead of necessarily just bringing everybody into Dragos, we've, we've got our own training classes and similar, but there's a, there's a place and a role for that. But then there's kind of that vendor agnostic, like I don't even have our technology and stuff in the class. It's just a, it's a vendor agnostic way to just share true lessons learned to the community. So I think it's useful from that community building perspective. And then third, I do take and consider the fact that I'm the CEO of the company. I don't think that title has a whole lot of weight, but some people do. And and I don't want my employees and, and folks that are coming in going, oh, well, Rob's always so busy, so we have to be busy. I like the idea that showing people, hey, I, even in running the company, can break away to go engage the community in a non-vendor way. I challenge you to do the same. Like, go figure out ways to go teach at a local university, go speak at a local conference, do things that aren't there for business purpose. They're just there for community engagement. Go be better. And I, I think in setting that example, um, hopefully uh, we will always continue to have that culture at Dragos. Do you continue to find value in interacting with people who are still at a very very early stage of their experience here? To have those those fresh sets of eyes come in, does that provide you with a unique perspective? Oh, absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing, too, about SANS is I'll get not only absolutely new people in the field, but you also get uh, seasoned professionals that come to those classes, you know, five hundred level class. So uh, maybe somebody career changing over or even somebody that's been doing it for a while and they're just trying to figure out if they've been doing the right things. And I think the reason you teach above everything is a love of the topic and that means that you should be a constant learner. Like I learn more from the collective that is my students than any of them individually ever learned from me. And so the opportunity for me to just sit there and share in their experiences and and be grounded in that community consistently, yeah, that's super valuable for me personally. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Phil Quaid. He's the Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet and author of the recently published book, The Digital Big Bang, The Hard Stuff, The Soft Stuff, and the Future of Cybersecurity. The cosmic Big Bang of you know 14 billion years ago, which uh, which launched our universe, created. Uh, we ultimately discovered that there are some fundamental elements and forces within it, which we ultimately characterized in some sciences called you know, physics and chemistry. And humans really started to hit their groove development-wise when we learned those sciences and starting obeying those laws and understanding the elements that govern them. I look at the past 40, 50 years, and I think. It's a, it's a great analogy. I think we're in the midst of a digital Big Bang. There's a massive amount of information just exploding from our culture. 
we need to understand what are the fundamental forces, the fundamental elements within this digital universe. And we need to identify the core sciences that govern those digital Big Bang forces and put them to use and then start flourishing in our digital universe. You start off the book, even in your introduction, you cover uh, what we got right and what we got wrong. What are you talking about there? Yeah, so so let's start with um, the precursor, which is the, the fundamental elements, which is, you know, in, in the case of the the universe Big Bang, cosmic Big Bang, it's things like gravity, matter, energy, time, things like that. Well, in the digital Big Bang, the fundamental elements of which all cybersecurity needs to be based around, those are things like speed and connectivity, right? So when the internet was, quote, created 40, 50 years ago, it was about connecting more people than ever imagined and doing so at speeds, higher speeds ever imagined. So if you're gonna create cybersecurity solutions, you better create those solutions based around those fundamental elements of cyberspace, which is doing things as fast as possible and doing so in an integrated way since the internet is, is fundamentally an integration function. But back specifically to your question, you asked, you know, what are the things that we, we kind of got wrong collectively when the internet was uh, first started up a, number, a few decades ago, several decades ago? One of those things was authentication. The original internet was conceived mostly as a collection of colleagues who knew each other. So personal authentication and data authentication wasn't that important. We've been paying the price for that for a really, really long time. Almost everything on the internet today is, all the flaws of the internet today are based on lack of trustworthy authentication of people, machines, of information. So that first section of the book that you asked about talks about the, the elementary shortfalls that we just never got right from the beginning. A few that me and my colleagues listed were uh, authentication, patching, and training. One of the sections of the book deals with uh, fundamental strategies. Uh, you call it proven strategies that don't let us down. One of them is an old favorite, especially from the place I used to work for. So I went, before coming to Fortinet, I spent about 30 years in the intelligence and national security community. And in those jobs, we spent a whole lot of time getting cryptography right, becoming masters of cryptography. And mm -hmm. cryptography, of course, is a means to provide some really strong mathematical principles to ensure that information is kept private and it, to ensure information isn't changed and information is authenticated. And it turns out that there, that's, uh, that's one of the three fundamental strategies that uh, me and my colleagues write about, write about in the Digital Big Bang as things that absolutely need to be leveraged from the beginning. Uh, cryptography, access control, and segmentation. Uh, if I could, I'd like to just say a couple words about segmentation. Um, it's one of the earliest of cybersecurity strategies. And some people may mistakenly think that uh, early or age of that strategy means it's become less important. I, I personally think the opposite's, uh, the opposite's true, that segmentation has become the primary cybersecurity strategy of our day, right? 10, 15 years ago, the preeminent strategy was about creating a big border around our networks, either a physical or a logical one, and then doing some active defense at that boundary around our networks. But we all know that those boundaries have disappeared because of things like wireless and mobility. And so, what we need to do now really, really well is segmenting off our assets so we can avoid breaches, so we can minimize their scope, and then we can recover from them quickly. So segmentation uh, is, is really, really important to get right. So that's why we call it one of the fundamental strategies. You know, I, I can't help thinking, uh, given your title about um, the, the notion of the cosmic calendar, which is something that I think Carl Sagan popularized back when he did his, his original uh, Cosmos book and TV series, 
which was this notion that if you stretched out time across a calendar and you started with the Big Bang on, you, you said that was January 1st, that you know it's only the last moments of the last day of that cosmic year that humans show up in the course of evolution. I'm curious, uh, where do you suppose we are on a, on a cyber cosmic calendar? How, how far along are we in the, the cosmic evolutionary uh, scale? Uh, love the questions. I, I, I think that we're in the, uh, the pre-scientific age of the digital Big Bang. So, so let me just, as you just did, just go back in history just a little bit. Back in the Middle Ages, we, we invented explanations that weren't based on science. And we, uh, we feared them. It often paralyzed us. And it wasn't until we started, I'll say, admitting our ignorance that we, in fact, didn't know a lot about the world that we ultimately started to really flourish as, as a culture. That's when we started the age of exploration. Right? At the time, uh, ocean explorers were worried about falling off the edge of the world. You know, mm. uh, today, astronomers are looking at the edge of the universe. What a fantastic amount of um, advancement we've made as humans just in the past you know, a few hundred years or so. Now, in cybersecurity, we're starting to uh, worry about the cyber edge, right? The, the edge is about to get a whole lot more interesting to those doing cybersecurity. It used to be the desktop, then the laptop, then the tablet, then the smartphone. But as we all know, the new definition of the edge is going to be the explosion of devices that, that sit out there in the physical domain. I call it the sci-fi, cyber-physical integration. These are the IoT devices that are instrumenting everything from our coffee makers to our health monitors to our automobiles. So the edge in cybersecurity uh, has its own meaning, and we're just about to start exploring that edge. So to answer your question, I think that we're, um, we're just exploring, uh, entering the scientific age of cybersecurity, and which is why this book, The Digital Big Bang, advocates treating cybersecurity like a science. Let's admit what we don't know. Let's observe what works well and why, and rigorously and methodically adopt the things that work well and then keep building on the shoulders of those successes. So it's trying to inspire people to uh, recognize their moment we're in. 90% of all data has been invented uh, just in the past few years. We're in the midst of a digital big bang. That's both a huge opportunity and a responsibility for us to you know, get set the course for you know, a, a bright future. So it's designed to be a little bit uh, inspiration and a little bit call for a little bit perspiration. You know, I, I suppose uh, I, I can't help wondering, uh, you know, do, is, is it in our best interest to look, uh, look to the sky for that uh, cybersecurity version of, of an asteroid, you know, for a, some sort of extinction event? It's a, is that something we need to be mindful of as well? <laughs> Great analogy. I wish I'd worked that one into the book. There, there are some, uh, there are some fear mongers out there that uh, say that things like uh, AI is going to be the be our doom, or even that uh, the adversary is going to shut down quote the grid. Um, I think both of those are a little bit too much um, fear mongering. Meaning, you know, AI is not a bad thing or a good thing on its own. It's just a technology. People need to how to need to know how to best leverage that technology and use it for good. So I don't see that as an asteroid. Um, now, the threat's a little bit one where we need to keep our eye on. As, as, as you know, right, the, we Earthlings look out into uh, near space for evidence that a future asteroid, an asteroid's going to hit us in the future. I think we need to do the same about threats, right? I'm not so worried about our entire power grid going down. Our electric grid is uh, much more better segmented than most people understand and pretty resilient. Uh, but we do, know, do need to understand what nation states aspire to do to us 
both on the electric grid and our other critical infrastructure. So to answer your question, I do think that the uh, asteroid analogy is a pretty good one. And I think that uh, we need to do a, a better job or keep our eye on those asteroids uh, figuratively to protect our critical infrastructures. That's Phil Quaid from Fortinet. The book is titled The Digital Big Bang, The Hard Stuff, The Soft Stuff, and the Future of Cybersecurity. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.